Play the fucking track. Play the fucking track. Dude, does anybody remember that song? I don't even, in the moment right now, I have no, I can't remember who that was. It's so obvious too because it's so mainstream, right? Uh, it's stuck in my head. Oh my God. But uh, welcome back to the RMP, guys. I'm Zachary, your host of this motherfucking podcast, and we're here to question the mess, make some rebel actions, and live life on our own terms. Now, I hope you guys are following what I mean. Sometimes I get so up in my own business about what the fuck it is that I'm trying to say that I hope it's coming across somewhat clear. Um, I've had too many girlfriends. This is, oh, God, this is bad. I've had too many girlfriends tell me that I'm cryptic or that I am, what is the word, uh, tactically vulnerable. I think that was the other one. Like, I, I, I don't really give information, and when I do, it comes across very planned out. Anyway, uh, that's my mind. But uh, yeah, like I said, I hope you guys are really understanding what we're trying to do here. I'm trying to promote individuality. I'm pr- trying to promote skepticism. I'm trying to get people to, to question from a neutral zone, to take away your bias, to take away your justifications on things, to take away uh, any point of opposition, to look at things objectively and tackle them because that's where I think true wisdom actually fucking comes from. It's that's where I think it actually comes from is when you can make sense of things apart from your emotions. And yeah, I guess that's kind of a a, a basic stoicism. It's a it's a generalized stoicism, I guess. Um, but I think that's really how we learn. I think that's really how we learn from each other, and I think that's really really how we learn from ourselves. But the big message is to question fucking everything. And I'm not just talking about the things that come across in our media. I'm talking about questioning, like being so self-aware and being so mindful of what's going on in your head that you are questioning your habits, you're questioning your your reactions, you're questioning your intentions and your instincts for the sake of finding the best way. And the reason I say this is I think we get so habitual in the way that we do things and the way that we think that we stop growing and we become in pain and we stop processing and we stop healing because we do not question repeatedly enough. Does that make sense? And so when I say question everything, I mean that in the biggest possible sense that I can, in every complexity that I can, to pay attention to every little tidbit that you pick up on that you're mindful of um, to, to make assessments, to be skeptical, to, to, I don't know, to, to process in a way that makes you think outside of yourself, makes you think outside of, of your own biases. Anyways, I'm talking in circles here, but I hope you guys are doing fucking amazing. Really guys, I, I just wrote a piece talking about how spectacular this life is. And I think it's really important to recognize that. I don't think that we need to wait for somebody to tell us that that is so. I don't think that we need to have somebody catch us in our worst moment and pick us up to know that that is so. And life is really amazing. It just it's just fucking hard. It's just fucking hard. But um, 
let, let's move on. I hope you guys are kicking ass. I hope you guys are finding whatever ways you need to train, whatever, you know, physically, mentally, emotionally, spiritually, doing all those fucking things to make yourself better. We always just want to get better. Uh, what have I done? I went to a boxing class with a friend. That kicked my ass. That, I didn't, I forgot what cardio was like. I, every, every part of me in my upper body hurt. And I also moved, and that's been, my anxiety's been up the whole weekend. It's crazy to actually recognize when your anxiety's up and, and noticing what it's coming from and being in control of it enough to, to, to tamp it down when you need to and also to allow it its space and assess it as we need to. But beyond that, not too much is going on. Um, I really want you guys to be excited about who you're listening to. I talked to Muscle Mads again and she brought on another guy and i'm so grateful that she did his name's mike russell jr he is a a a mental performance coach is is a really good way to put it psychological performance when it comes to athletics i think and mike if you're listening don't kill me on this uh i hope that's kind of the best way to to give your expertise but this guy's super smart we went over a lot of anecdotal things it, it brought in a lot of relativity relativity and clarity between all of us and trying to understand the position on this and he goes over by definition what what this is and the importance of like self-awareness and um mental practices and finding the answers inside of us and the importance of of, of mental performance as an athlete on the platform when we're per, when we're performing and in the gym when we're doing the daily grind and allowing ourselves to pay attention to what keeps us going. So I don't want to give too much away, but uh, Mike Russell is an, is an, a fantastic human. Um, and by the way, ladies, he's actually super pretty. He's super pretty. He's 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 far prettier than I am. So you might want to look into that. Uh, <laughs> he's gonna he's gonna kill me. I don't even know if he's single. <laughs> But I mean, hey, everybody looks likes to check out man meat, right? Everybody likes to check out meat. God, I'm digging myself a fucking hole. <laughs> okay, without any further ado, this is episode 104 with Mike Russell Jr. and Muscle Mads. I hope you guys enjoy. Dude, I like it. So before we get too carried away, I'm. It's just my curiosity, just like coming out already, because I, I, this is gonna be big for me. But tell everybody. Uh, tell everybody who you are, tell everybody what you do. Um, and you kind of gave us an idea of kind of how that came to be, but what is the motivation there for you, like in the long run? So go ahead and tell us who you are and then I'll have Mad Mads come in. And, and... Um, well, uh, official title would be I'm a mental performance coach. So I mean, I'm a specialist in sport and performance psychology. Um, I basically just help athletes train the mental side and help them perform better. You know, um, the mind is a tricky thing and it can be trained the same way the body can. And, um, you know, instead of things happening on accident, you know, we, we put systems in place to do things on purpose and Mm -hmm. have our mind work for us. Um, there's a, uh, Navy SEAL saying, and they say, you don't, you don't rise to the occasion, fall to the level of your training. Ah, so we expect in the moment, like, Oh, well, I'm mentally tough. My mind's got to work for me. You know, some people are special like that. Most of us need to do some work, so we're prepared for that. So we're prepared for that moment. We need to be that person 
you know, we, we've trained to beat it. Mm-hmm. Uh, so yeah. Um, oh, that's, that's good, man. Um, Mads, can you come in and tell everybody who you are? I'm sure everybody's heard our last episode, but I want to make sure they know who's speaking on the other end. Yeah, for sure. Hi, my name's Madeline Mads for short muscle Mads on the gram, uh, powerlifter, powerlifting coach, personal trainer, nutritionist. Um, and then how I know Mike, he was helping a lot of my other powerlifting friends and they were seeing some improvement in their lifts. And I had just gotten over a serious back injury. Um, we didn't really talk about it much on the podcast, but essentially I was deadlifting did not great form, not not the right amount of weight, too much weight. And I pulled, I think it was like my QL. I thought I herniated a disc at the time, but I didn't thank God. Um, so I was out for about six months before I was back to like training. It's okay. It's all good now. Um, but definitely getting back under the bar, I couldn't, I was having like panic attacks and breathing issues and mental thoughts were going crazy. So when, um, I mentioned this to some of my girlfriends at the gym. They were saying, oh, well, I'm seeing the sports psychologist, Mike. He's building up like clientele. You should reach out to him. I was like, oh, okay. So then we had a couple sessions and took lots of notes. And then um, everything we talked about, I still like implement to my training today um, with breathing. And hell, I was having a bad squat day on Tuesday, Wednesday. Um, so I had to implement some of those as well. And then everything was fine. <laughs> well, and sometimes I think we, we don't realize how big of a deal that is. Maybe it's because, I mean, for some of us, we've been in it for a while. I, I think that there's a mindset, uh, struggle that I may not understand as, as the same way some other people do, because I've just been doing it since I was a teenager. Like I've been into weightlifting since I was a teenager. Um, but I think this is a good place to start. Um, Mike, because I think this will give us uh, some relativity here. So you are helping Mads and you are helping Mads around an injury uh, and and that mental game. So and, you know, that's that's different coming in with injury when you're used to coming in healthy and like everything's everything's working fine. Everything's going the way that you really want it to. Mads seems really dedicated and disciplined to what she does. So but then all of a sudden she has an injury. So what do you do to assess that? when it comes to this mental performance coaching? Um, as far as an injury, I mean, the first thing is trying to figure out like where in that response to injury they are, whether it's a, a fresh injury, whether they're coming mm-hmm. out of rehab or in the middle of rehab or whether they are returning to, to play. Those are like the mm-hmm. three phases they call out for, for um, as far as a response to injury. And so that's the first step is figuring out where they are. I mean, if they're in that first step where they, uh, are just are just in, currently injured, like recently injured. Then the approach is a lot different, and it's trying to get them just some social support around them and get them um, trying to not be in so much pain. You know, there's certain imagery types that, that help with pain management and relaxation techniques to help with the pain management mm-hmm. and those kind of things. You know, once they're in the the rehab room and in physical therapy, then you know, the steps trying to get them to start thinking about being out there again and start trying to visualize those things. And, uh, you know, imagery is one of the most powerful things we have. I mean, we, it's the most studied um, tool in sports psychology, and you can implement it in a bunch of different ways. Uh, one, one 
good story was uh, Dominic Cruz, a UFC fighter, when he he was coming back from two really bad knee injuries, and he got offered a title fight on like eight weeks' notice, and he hadn't been training; he'd just been doing rehab stuff and everything. But you know, he was working with the sports psych. He was working with therapist and a sports psych both. But um, and he said he'd been doing the mental training full time, so he'd just been doing that. And the really cool thing with imagery, as far as that that mental practice, like mentally rehearsing what you're going to do out there on the field, or the platform, whatever. Um, the way it works is, you know, our motor neurons in our brain send a signal to our body, right? Um, of how to. <clears throat> so when you imagine doing something, the same motor neurons that fire when you actually do it will fire when you just think about it. Mm-hmm. So literally, you build that connection between your mind and your body so much stronger, and your mind literally mentally practices your mind thinks you did that you know your mind thinks you're doing this and the more you do it the stronger those images get the stronger the better you get imagery Mm -hmm. and the stronger those 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 motor neural patterns become and so you know as far as when they're in that phase of of the rehab process you know you want to really start to incorporate that so even though they're not even on the field yet or on the platform yet like that you're still practicing and your mind's getting out there. Mm-hmm. Um, and then that, fir- that third phase that return to play, um, the big thing is the, the confidence. You know, because at that point, you know, whoever is, is working with them as far as their, their PT um, and they're approving them to go full out, the hard thing there is confidence. I mean, you know, there's, we've all come back from injury and the big thing is like, oh, is this going to happen again? You know, um, and, and trying to get them as confident as possible with, you know, you use past success and, you know, you use, you know, what they're doing in the, the rehab room. And, um, yeah, you use all those things to try to build them up so they're ready when they go out there, um, go at it again. Yeah, um, I had and Mads, you might you might be able to relate to this a little bit. I mean, I've never had major serious injury from. I have from riding dirt bikes, but that's that's a whole nother thing. Um, but when it comes to to actual athletic training, I've never had any major injury except um, back when I very first started powerlifting. I like a year out, I was you know you have those newbie gains, right? Like everything's just like your body's just adapting like crazy, and uh, you get a little overconfident. I think uh, you know maybe that tends to lead to to new injury for new lifters. Um, but I remember I remember. S- squatting heavy with an SSB and we're doing box squats. And I remember being like two inches off the box and I lost all my tension and I like my butt like plopped on the box and I had this like searing pain in my lower back and I couldn't stand back up. Like I was completely immobile and I didn't, you know, I couldn't get anything to work. And I think maybe mentally I wasn't going to do anything. I don't know if my body would have done it or not. Uh, I don't know. Um, But yeah, like, after that injury, I was so scared to even get back under a regular power bar with 45s on it. Like it just, I didn't want to squat at all. And maybe, I mean, this is, this has got to be where something like what you do is crucial then because you can actually help people. Cause I didn't, I don't, I can't, I don't, it was months before I think I stepped back under a bar. And I think the only way I was capable of doing that was just, pushing my help myself and having some confidence in, in my body, I guess, you know? Um, so what type of things did you go through with like, say Mads and Mads jump in and like, 
with with whatever you guys whatever you experienced you know from your side but what did you guys do with mads whenever she had her injury and like you're getting her to get back to the platform or you know doing particular particular exercises what was that like so well it was a combination because my coach he knew i switched from conventional to sumo because of that injury so Mm -hmm he was working with limited range of motion on all the lifts. So lots of like leg supported Larson presses on bench, um, lots of machine work or some dumbbell work. And then with squat, it was high box squats and then deadlift. It was like very, very high box pulls, sumo stance. Mm -hmm. Um, and we just did what we could, but that was without using that part of your body, I guess too much pressure. Yeah. Yeah. And, and then rebuilding the brace. And then I also saw, um, a massage there, or he's a sports massage therapist. Um, uh, Kelly, I'm going to butcher his last name Schlager. I think he owns uh, another gym STS performance here. Um, so it was a combination of him helping me. And then like, once I was better and the PT signed me off, the physical therapist was like, Oh, you're good. Now you can go back to lifting. Then it was just like, I don't want to, <laughs> um, it, well, I wanted to obviously. So that's when it was, uh, Kelsey and yeah, I think it was Kelsey that pushed me to go talk to Mike. Mm-hmm. Um, and it started with just talking for like an hour and really? I just kind of like, well, it was a very therapeutic session. Um, I'll talk about it cause I'm open. I know he can't, he has to keep that stuff confidential, but I'll say it. I cried like six times and it was just <laughs> letting out all the stress of everything that was going on in my life. But yeah. then I realized like what was really keeping me from going underneath the bar. Um, and then, I don't know, we met like three or three or four times and everyone was a little bit different. Uh, I think the first when the bit was he it was making me just aware of my anxiety levels. So we did like red, mm. yellow, green or green, yellow, red um, in certain situations, just in everyday life, like sitting in traffic. I'm like a yellow uh, sitting here in my office. I'm a green. And mm. then, you know, like if I would go get under the bar for a squat, it's like, oh, I'm at a red right now. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So that was like one of the first ones. Uh, Mike, go ahead. Take over if you want. Oh, no, go ahead and finish up. <laughs> oh, okay. Yeah, that, that was the first thing was awareness. And then I think we worked on breathing. Um, was it in for four, hold for two, out for six, I think. I forget the numbers exactly. Um, and just being aware of the breathing to bring the heart rate down a little bit. Um, and that's when I learned uh, I get really too amped up with squats and then I have short, short, shallow breath and then I can't brace properly. And that's when I lose the lift. Ah. Um, so that becoming aware of that was very important. So even today I'll like, when I go for PRs and I like play my song and I like press the camera to record, I I'm like hand on chest, like trying to bring my heart rate down. Cause I was like, Oh, I can feel it ticking up yeah. and I'm not gonna be able to brace. So I take a moment and I center and my coach waits and he's like, you good. And I'm like, yeah, I'm good. And then we sit down and we wrap and then we go for it. Um, but just taking a moment to be present and, uh, prepare myself for the lift has been very, very helpful. So like last week or yeah, this past week it was shit. Wasn't feeling good. It was heavy. Um, wasn't moving like I wanted it to. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I just needed to take a minute and 
it was one of those moments where it was just like, Hey, just do the work. Cause it wasn't like PRs. It was just like reps. Um, so it was just focusing on like one to two cues and like removing myself from what the weight was on the bar. Um, not thinking about like, Oh, you're never going to make this total. No, it was just yeah. think of one or two cues, get under the bar and execute the lift. And that's how I made it through that workout. Okay. Okay. So, all right, Mike. So, so as you're going through this with Madeline, what's the assessment that you're making? Like, how are you helping her get from stage to stage? And obviously like if there's confidential information, you, you know, obviously don't have to divulge that, but generally, I guess, like what are you doing and what are you assessing? Like, what are you seeing as you're taking her through this? Um, I mean, first off, it's just really cool to hear that she still implements that stuff. And, you know, when, uh, hearing her talk about it and, you know, like when she talked about doing the, 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 the traffic lights exercise, you know, and then you see her level of awareness there in that moment in her training, you know, that's, that's the, the point, like, you know, we can, awareness is, is the key to, to everything. You know what I mean? Like, as far as this, you can't implement any of the, the, the psychological skills unless you're aware of what's going on. Mm-hmm. And so that's why, like, I, I have athletes practice that, you know, just in everyday life. Like, let's just practice just being aware of, of where you're at. And then then you have tools in place where, you know, you can you can get yourself where you want to be. Um, you know, like, so people use different ways to, to build awareness. Uh, I'm not a good meditator, so I don't usually make my clients meditate. You know, like, I'm one of those, like, I try it for a couple of days and I won't do it for like a week, you know. Same, dude. Um, <laughs> Yeah. So like, I don't, I don't try to force that on my, my clients, but that's what, yeah. what, you know, that mindfulness meditation is that just, that's straight just mental training. You're just building your awareness and um, building that strength of bringing your thoughts back in, you know, mm-hmm. that's what it is. So, you know, focus on the breath, your thoughts are going to go somewhere else. It's okay. Don't judge yourself, bring it back. Um, mm-hmm. So that's a similar thing. I just trying to deliberately build that awareness. Um, also like I want to touch on uh she mentioned her, her, her arousal levels for the squat and realizing she needed to bring that down a little bit. Um, and that's one of the, it's a, it's a very unique thing in powerlifting, right? Um, it's a very unique sport in that it's very, very high arousal levels, you yeah. know, when you're on the bar. And then you have 15 minutes where you got to be relaxed and then you do a, get very high again. <laughs> you know, you do that three times and then you take an hour and a half to get as low as possible, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you know, so it's, it's difficult. It's a, it's a kind of difficult sport to manage with that. Um, and so there's a, there's one theory I work off a lot with that. It's called individual zones of optimal functioning. Basically what it means is every sport and every person needs to be at different arousal levels for the performance. Right. You know, um, so even in, in powerlifting, it's different from lift to lift for person to person, you know, so, you know, you may, need to bring it down a notch for squat. You need to turn it up a notch for deadlift. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, and so it's finding the sweet spot for yourself, having that awareness to find a sweet spot for, for yourself, for each lift. And, um, I always make a comparison because you always, you get a lot of these powerlifting coaches that really just want their athletes to be like them. You know, if they're a very high arousal level lifter, they want to slap everybody in the back and get riled up, you know, and I always compare the two comparisons I make is, um, so Ed Cohen is the greatest powerlifter of all time. And he's a very, very, Can anybody strong, deny that. Right. And he, he would tell people like, you don't need to do all that jumping down and this and that you're wasting your energy. Okay. Cause that's how he lived. That's how he was successful. 
And then I don't know if you remember what Benedict Magazine was the first guy to pull a thousand in powerlifting, right? You know, and when he when he did it, <laughs> am I even a powerlifter? I didn't know that. Huh? I didn't know that. I'm obviously I'm not even a powerlifter. So <laughs> <laughs> Benedict Magazine, yeah, he was well, he's a strong man. You can get him powerlifting too, but okay, was, he he deadlifted a thousand for the first time, no straps or anything. Um, but he's sitting there like ten feet from the bar, yelling Icelandic slurs at it. Right? <laughs> even at the top of his lungs and then he runs up and picks it up and you know i tell people which one's right yeah yeah which one's right right you know and, and the truth is it's, it's just whatever works for you and so mm -hmm. it's it's doing that work like like maz did to figure out like where do i need to be for this lift what's best for me you know and that that reflection of going back and thinking about your your best performances and your your best lifts and like what was i at what was my mindset at and you know, so that's the, when she talked about the conversation, that long conversation, um, I mean, you know, everything we do in sports psychology is based off the research, based off the science and stuff, right? Mm -hmm. um, the art is really in, in that, being able to be in that conversation with the person and make them feel like it's a safe space to, to open up everything and uh, trying to ask the right questions at the right times, trying to steer them towards these answers, because the answer is always inside right? Like, I don't have any magic ways to tell you what to feel or tell you what to think. You know, the answers are inside the person. I just got to try to navigate that with them. And then we kind of discover that together. And, you know, the athletes can usually tell you right away. It's so funny, like, you'll ask somebody when they come out of a bad meet, like, oh, well, where were you at when you did this? Where were you at mentally? This and that. Then you go back, like, all right, go back to your best meet. What were you doing? So like, oh, I was doing this and this and this. Like, so why don't you do that every time? Mm-hmm. Right. <laughs> That's you know. exactly the paperwork that sheet that you gave me that made, made me do. Um, yeah, it it was the where were you at your best, where you at your worst, and it was when I realized that I'm like a lifter of love and happiness and not anger and violence, yeah. which is fine. If if you need a slap on the back, that's fine. I need like a squeeze on the shoulder and tell me I'm strong and I can go do it. And the last meet, not nationals, but the one that my comeback meet. Um, I was listening to 80s music and dancing on the sideline the entire time. And that That's kept totally me you. in my, right? <laughs> and then it kept me in my my Zen mode and it kept me happy. And then, you know, coach like gives me like the two out and I take my headphones off and I watch the person before me and then they give me a pep talk and then I go and do it. And it was a great meet. Like everything was great. And I was having a lot of fun. Um, I wasn't had any, I didn't have any high expectations because it was just too like, get that confidence back mm -hmm. so then you know nationals comes around and then we push it and it's like we know where to be at so yeah happiness no i think i mean that obviously shows in your media like that's just that's just who you are i think that's one of the first things that i complimented you on was um the way that that you present yourself and it's it comes off very authentic and real and i think maybe mike tell me if this sounds off or maybe there's some psychological uh benefit or maybe there's something special about about this but it seems like like powerlifting the, the logistics side of it is the same like you said we know the science we know um the way that things work best when it comes to biomechanics and you know our anatomy and our diet and all those, those things that go into and that could be for any sport too not even just powerlifting but you know we see powerlifting as a strength sport and we almost get bias in the way that we think it should be approached. Cause I think a lot of 
I think a lot of people are like that and think, assume that there's this crazy, dark, uh, heavy metal kind of attitude when it comes towards powerlifting. And I can't even see Mads doing something like that. Like that doesn't even, doesn't even fit her character. So it's, it's almost like you have to separate or compartmentalize the logistics of powerlifting, but make sure that the approach is unique. Maybe. Does that make sense? Yeah, definitely. Definitely. And, uh, I mean, we all seen like, uh, the history of powerlifting and when it was all geared lifters and everything, and yeah. it was just heavy metal and Dude, guys totally. headbutting each other, you know? So it's, it's evolved a lot since then, you know, um, raw lifting really changed that and the influx of, of women powerlifters has really changed that, you know, um, the, the, the women in powerlifting, it's crazy. The numbers women are putting up, you know, that's why the it women scares the shit out of me. Yeah. The women's like Wilkes scores and watch out and, <laughs> They never imagined women would do this. You know, they never imagined the women's numbers now. Like things that were an elite total 10 years ago don't even get you ranked now for a woman. You know what I mean? Yeah. 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 So it's just insane with the women out <laughs> there, you know, but it's great for the sport. It really is. You know, that's, that's probably the best thing that's happened to the sport, I think, is the influx of, of women. And oh, totally. Yeah. 100% agree. I love the brands like Girls Who Powerlift or, girl with like three r's and then sisters of iron like all of those are great i love the brand of what they represent and like seeing them at nationals with all of them i was like yeah this is some good energy like just mm -hmm. my flight of women um and at nationals like we're all supporting each other we're all like cheering each other onto the warm-ups and like checking in with one another in between attempts like Hey, you good? Like, do you need anything? Like, I was like, holy shit, this is so supportive. I love this. Mm -hmm. No, I, I think it's, I think it's fantastic. I think it's helped kind of round off or balance the, the community a little bit, maybe, you know, and really shown potential for a lot of fucking people. Um, when I went to nationals, there were some women there that like absolutely blew my mind at the USPA nationals. It, it was, it was absolutely cra crazy. Um, th this is kind of a, a, kind of an out there more question. And this is just, you know, maybe an intuitive or instinctive answer, Mike. Um, but do you notice a difference in the way that women handle things and the way that men handle things when it comes to this mental performance stuff? Um, definitely is it kind of the same types of practices is, is it all the logistics or am I, I mean, people are going to be individually different anyways. Um, yeah. There's some things that tend to be more and more. It was funny when she's talking about the, um, the women and having fun um, and the flight and everything. And uh, one thing that's, that's different in the research between men and women and the research was the team sports, right? And so with team sports um, and men's sports, they don't have to like each other to play, play with each other. You know, they don't have to get along, they have to be friends. They can put all that, they don't have to like, they put all aside, like, I want to go win. I don't care if I don't like you. You're my teammate, so I need you, so I need, we're mm -hmm. going to go win. Where in women's sports, they, they need that bond. Women wow. literally, if they don't like their teammates, they will not play as well. You know, so it's funny when she talked about how, like, they, how supportive they were. And I, it's not like the guys don't support each other in powerlifting, but not the same way the women do. You see the women literally taking care of each other like that out there. You know, you know the guy, you know, he may dap you up, he's worried about himself. You know, mm -hmm. so it's funny you see that even though this is a, a individual sport, to still see that that in the competition that that show up, um, mm -hmm. 
that they have that that almost team like bond right like she's talking about um in this individual sport so that's kind of cool um i got lost what else was it about the uh difference between men and women Um, yeah 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 i mean other than that there's nothing really in the research that i know of is different and in my experience i know there's different the only real difference in women are a lot more likely this is just anecdotal um women are a lot more likely to um tell their friends that they're working, you know, with the performance coach, they're working with the sports like guy. Uh, you know, the I was working with this uh, MMA fighter, right? And we did some good work and I went to go watch his fight. And then uh, we met up afterwards and some of his teammates were there and he just says, this is my friend, Mike. You know what I mean? I was like, <laughs> <laughs> like you know, like I spent more on the tickets than he paid me. It'd be nice if you gave me a little reference. But, yeah. Um, <laughs> You know, Sadly, but, there's still like a stigma of mm-hmm. men seeing therapists. Um, yeah, yeah, it's it's unfortunate. I think there's slow change, just like we talk about like women lifting more weights. I think mm-hmm. we talked about that in the last podcast. Like we're slowly getting more women in strength training. I mm-hmm. think we're slowly starting to get more men to accept that it's okay to therapy and it's okay to talk about it and it's okay to not talk about it as well. Like if 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 you don't want to blast on your social media just got back from therapy like mm-hmm. you don't have to do that but if if you're and your buddies are talking and you're having a hard time like hey man why don't you go to therapy or like hey this is my therapist maybe they can connect you with someone like that needs to be a more normalized conversation of like hey where do you get your car to go get fixed where do you go to help your brain but slow slow step slowly but surely definitely that's a good analogy <laughs> i i honestly don't I think to me, um, I, I think that's more, it's, it's a programmed thing. Um, I think men instinctively want to be at the top of a hierarchy. I think uh, men enjoy status. I mean, I think men enjoy independence, but I, and this is, we're not going to get too far into this because this is a completely different subject uh, on male masculinity issues. But um, I think this, it's an insecurity that was built on uh lack of emotional intelligence and lack of acceptance and it plays off like men's psychological uh idea that they're somehow going to be exiled if they can't handle things all their own and i think it's you know kind of a a plethora of of all the you know collaboration of all these things you know um i don't know mike you're you're male what do you what do you think on that i mean (laughs) it's it's kind of messy it's kind of messy most trolls are male so Oh, seriously. Um, short story real quick about that, actually. Um, with, uh, I forget who it was, but my husband was telling me that some, I think he was like a gunny or some someone higher up in the ranks mm-hmm. um, was an advocate for having his guys and girls go to therapy if they need it because they offer Fantastic. it on base. And he's like, I go every day at five o'clock at noon. I sit for an hour with Dr. I forget the name. Um and I have a therapy session. So every Friday, Hey, where's Gunny? Blah, blah, blah. He's like, Oh, he's at his therapy session. And you can go back and like, look at his schedule and you're going to see every Friday at noon, he mm. goes to therapy. And so he's going to therapy and he's sitting down, he's talking to the doc and the psychologist was like, is there anything that you need help with? Like, I'm happy to talk with you as long as you want, but you, they just talked about fishing or the weather or, you know, what they were having for dinner. And the gunny said, 
I, I'm good. If I have anything, I will let you know. I'm doing this as an example for my men and my women to make sure that they know that there's not a stigma and this is accepted. And if I'm doing it, they can do it too. And he's still going. He doesn't really talk much about like mental stuff. It's more just like shooting the shit, but at least he's going and he's making it acceptable for all his guys and girls to go as well. Oh no. Hell yeah. So Mike, have you, let's ask you this then. So have you noticed, is there a difference in numbers? Like males having resistance to uh to hiring somebody like you it, like do you tend to have more women i don't know if this is a little question or not but uh what is that what is that like are do, do you see that male resistance on your end of things um well one thing i'll point out she's talking about her husband in the military actually the number one employer of of uh, mental performance coaches is the military. Military hires more mental performance coaches than anybody. Really? Uh, mm -hmm. I mean, think about the skills, like, you know, if you use these skills in a sport, you know, compared to like when your life's on the line, like what's, what's, you know, more yeah. important, you know what I mean? So like having those, those systems in place to, to be prepared for that. And so they, the military invests a lot into, into that. Um, as far as my own personal practice, I, I do have more, uh, women athletes than I do male athletes. Mm. Um, as a whole, I'm not sure how, how that is for, for the industry. Um, cause a lot of times it's a, it's a team. Um, it's a, it's a team that's hiring somebody. And so, oh, they, okay. They so it's like a team environment most of the time. Yeah. Like, so a lot of times like, they'll require everybody to go to talk to the, the people. Um, yeah. So, I mean, I'm not sure the exact numbers, but I know in my own personal practice, yeah, I have more uh, female athletes than male athletes. And the, the women tend to be a lot more open with the other people in their lives mm -hmm. about what they're, what they're doing and, and you know, um, wanting to share that. Um, but, I mean, it's, like you said, it's, it's, a, it's a tough subject, you know, as far as, oh, like, yeah. I mean, it's not even therapy. What I'm doing is not therapy. It's, it's you know, it's, it's performance-related. But still it's that space and we're going to talk and sometimes other stuff comes out and you know um you know mads mentioned you know she she broke down a couple times in the conversation and um i'm pretty sure every male athlete i've had in there has broken down at some point you know but i i think kind of going along that um i mean as men it's, it's harder to find that safe space where you yeah. can let out some of that stuff yeah you know and if you're resistant to going to see um even me or like someone like a therapist that's gonna get you those places once you have that space it's gonna come out you know once you feel comfortable in that space it's all gonna come out mm -hmm. so you know in that situation it's just you know i'm just trying to be there to listen and you know once we kind of navigate through those things and we get back towards the, the sport you know but a lot of that it's just developing when you're in that situation it's just develop and building trust and you know letting them know i'm i'm, I'm here to listen no matter what like doesn't mean i can you know it's not ethical for me to work with them as a therapist um but uh you know i'm still going to listen i'm still going to be there for them and mm -hmm. then, you know, um when we get back to the performance side then i'll start adding my two cents <laughs> um yeah and that's that's kind of a that's kind of a good segue i mean because i know even when you're completely alone, like you're completely isolated from, from other people, I've, my self-awareness has gotten better. 
Um, but there's there's legitimately situations where I'm like, why the fuck can I not cry? Like I nobody is here to see me. You know, my dog's right here, my little cuddle buddy. Like, why, why can I not? What is it inside of me as a male? What what are those resistance measures that are keeping me from just like because I know something is up. I know I'm mad or resentful or sad or doubtful about something. And I'm like, why can't I just cry? Like the girls watching the movies, like I'm open to it, but it's it's like some crazy internal ridiculous thing but we are kind of getting to, to more of like a therapeutic uh style of things so so if anybody out there doesn't really understand i know i wouldn't have if i hadn't had a little bit of history of coaching what what is the difference between like a therapy count therapy and or counselor compared to like mental performance coaching um so i mean the the work i'm doing is just basically trying to help you perform better enjoy your performance more enjoy your directly related, related to sport um yeah and you know it doesn't mean if there's things going on in your life we can't talk about it because everything affects the the, the sport mm-hmm. um and so definitely we, we touch on those things um as far as the therapist they're going to work more with like clinical issues um as far as if they have depression um you know anxiety disorder um, any kind of personality disorders if it starts to get into that realm ethically i can't i can't really help them with that stuff it's not mm-hmm. my place you know um yeah. you know i would try to like help them find somebody to help them with that um that would be a thing um most of the time the people i work with that have been dealing with that too already have their own therapist and uh so but, you know of course those things do pop up as far as your performance. And so then we figure out how to manage those for the performance. Um, a lot of that's just talking about what they've worked with as a therapist and, you know, figuring out how to put tools in place to, to work through that in the performance. You know what I mean? Um, mm-hmm. You know, so like I, I, I have a client, um, she has generalized anxiety disorder and you know, she sees a psychiatrist for meds, she sees a therapist to talk to, and then there's me, you know? Um, and so of course those issues affected her performance. Um, and so we, we talked about that, but a lot of it was, you know, how do we manage that for the performance, right? Um, not so much how do we manage that for, for life and for everything else. That's, that's the therapist's job. Um, you know, and I wouldn't want to step on their toes in that situation. Um, you know, and a lot of it, like I said, is just in the conversations asking them a lot of times, what do they do on that side? And then sometimes I could figure out some of the tools they're using over there we can modify for the sport. How can we use that to leverage to, to help you in this environment? Mm-hmm. Well, and so this is something that I was curious about because it's <clears throat> it's like Mads, you'll kind of get this a little bit, is when you're going off like an RPE in training, right? And you just feel horrible. Like you feel like shit. And you just don't even want to train. Um so obviously there's, there's, there's a miscommunication between your mind and your body. Right. So I guess as far as mental performance on the sports side of things, are you, are you trying to get people to be able to handle situations better or, or peak better? I mean, ultimately you want everybody to be better at their sport or whatever they're doing. Correct. But like, is it, is it detailed differently for everybody? Like what's that ultimate goal? Um, ultimate goal is just to perform 
better, more optimal, you know, to, mm-hmm. to think better, to perform better on a more consistent basis. You know, when you think about your best competitions, you're not always going to reach your best competitions, but you know, that top 80%, you should be able to get around there. Right. Um, so it's putting systems in place to get there and, you know, and enjoy your sport. You know, when your mind's working for you, you enjoy it a lot more. Um, as far as if some of that whole, like, you know, I'm not feeling it today thing. Um, and that, that happens, you know, you got to kind of just get over it. You know, uh, you want to try to <laughs> suck it up, bro. Truth, you know, you, um, you, you want to kind of get them in the mindset where, you know, I, I don't have to feel good to do what I have to do. I don't have to feel good to perform. Right. Cause you know, how often are you hundred percent? You're never hundred percent. Right. You know, so needing to be hundred percent to perform, that's never going to happen. You know, like if you're at a competition and you're not feeling it, what are they going to do? Move the competition? Yeah. You know? You're going to go right. home. You guys wait a couple of days. <laughs> Get over it. <laughs> Get over it. That's, that's it. Um, you know, you're, when you're, when you're alone on that platform, you know, you are, who you are, you got, what you got. Right. So oh yeah. You might as well control the things within your control. You can't, you can't get any stronger at that point. The technique can get any better at that point. Right. Mm-hmm. So what can you control? You can control your focus. You can control yourself. You can control your arousal levels, you know? And so you focus on those things and just do what you got to do. You know, it's, you're never going to be hundred percent, but I mean, being mentally tough is, I got 70%. Can you give me hundred percent of that 70% on this next attempt being present right here? You know, can you give me hundred percent of that 70%? That's mentally tough. Mm-hmm. That's being mentally tough, right? That was me at nationals. My yeah. tank was at 70%, but I gave a hundred percent. I think you were kind of like, you were just about to hit the nail on the head, but part of also what you do is um, being able to, uh, I don't want to say compartmentalize, but the analogy I always use is like two train tracks and one train just keep moving throughout the day, not mm. thinking about the past and letting it affect you, whether it was a lift, a game, a play, whatever, and focusing on the task at hand. And then mm. once that's done, the next one. So like squats didn't go well. Okay. What can we do to make bench go well? Bench went really well. All right, good. Let's gear up and go for deadlifts. Um, whether your tank is at 70, 50, 90, whatever it's at, giving it hundred percent and not dwelling on like, Oh, squats were really bad. So my whole day is no, your whole day is yeah. not ruined. Keep going. Yeah. I don't know what that's called though. That's not, I guess it would be like partially uh, like compartmentalization, mm-hmm. but like, I don't know, like just task resilience. I don't know. There's gotta be a definition for that. I think just simply being present, you know, present, being where yeah. your feet are, you know, mm, be right your feet are, yeah. be right here, you know, um, there's something, if I'm working with, uh, like saying pilots, you know, I'm working with somebody consistently going to meet one thing that I have in training is, uh, like a between attempts kind of reset. Right. Mm-hmm. And so whether what you just kind of like what you just said, whether what you just did was bad or good, you got to put it behind you and think about what's funny. Right. So my own experience one time, I remember I had a, my second attempt squat was a PR for that weight class. Right. And when I went out in a, for my third attempt and I missed my third attempt afterwards, I was like, man, I wasn't even there for that. I was like, I think I could have gotten it, but I wasn't even there. 
I was just kind of satisfied with the last one. I didn't put myself in the mind frame to be ready for this one, mm-hmm. you know? So whether it was good or bad, you got to let that go, <laughs> you know? So I usually have some kind of breathing technique to kind of bring them back to center and, and try to bring them, you know, then some other kind of technique, kind of bring them into the present and then cool, let's go now. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, my, I got that from uh, one of my mentors. He was working with the basketball team and he did that. Every guy that came off the court, you know, they had to sit down um close your eyes or put a towel over the head whatever you know take these these five ten deep breaths okay let that go now we'll be back to the present paying attention to the game we're back in it but uh yeah whether it was good or bad you gotta let it go you know <laughs> no i i i think i think we're on to something a little bit here so from my own experience. I remember being at nationals we have too many powerlifters in the room here. Um it's all about powerlifting <laughs> today but um but in saying that, I think that powerlifters build a mentality that a lot of people just don't get because you're approaching something you've never done before over and over again, especially, you know, uh, uh, like in a competition, like a lot of us like to get small PRs, like we get super excited about that. But I think what most people aren't used to is the fact that even in the gym, like we're always approaching something new and that's part of progressive overload too right maddie kind of um is like you're yes um <laughs> sorry um but yeah you're 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 always approaching something new and i think i think people are super scared especially when it comes to weight there's something so obvious about something that can crush you you have no idea where you can do it and what my philosophy has been and what i've tried to tell other new lifters is like when it comes to maximal load I think that it it's it sways more towards the mental resilience and capacity than it does the physical. Like when you're that close to maximal load, is it your body failing or is it your mind failing? And I think more often than not, you know, there's there's polls where I was like, there's no way my body would have done that. But I think more often than not, like our mind quits before our body quits. You know, um, at nationals, my my first deadlift was not great. Um, but, but I pulled it and then my second one was, was slower. And then when I went to go for my third, my whole focus was hitting a new number that I'd never hit before. And that was the fastest one that I pulled. I put, I could have pulled another 10 or 15 pounds for sure. So what do you guys think about that? I'm, I'm looking for honest opinion here because I think that the mental aspect of it, and maybe this has something to do with like really good mental performance is what things are like when you're at maximal load. Yeah. Take 100%. it anyway. <laughs> I watch. Oh, no, I got you real quick. Like a couple examples. I watch like Joe Sullivan. He trains and takes ice baths and that's not for recovery. That's not for inflammation. That's for mental strength. That's mm-hmm. for being in a very cold plunge submerged in, in water for 10, however many minutes. So he has to focus on his breathing. Granted, that guy is like a freaking superhero and Dude, can squat real. God knows how much, but a lot of that's mental and physical. Um, my coach is making me do a shit ton of AMRAPs on bench on deadlift and it's making me want to puke, but the mental state you get in, it's like, and your friends are cheering for you. Like, and that's a whole other aspect of the community. But Mm -hmm. when people are saying like, you've got one more, you've got one more like over and over again, and you just do it, even though like you want to puke your heart rates in your throat and you just keep going. Um, Same with like bench, you know, you got someone spotting you. Don't worry about the weight falling on you. You're safe. Just keep Mm -hmm. going. Just keep pushing. 
And I've noticed that all my last lifts, they're grinders, but I make it. Yeah. So as um that that's like my mental training of what I'm doing. I really enjoy these AMRAPs. Um, but I know that every high elite power athlete, um, a couple I can think off the bat, Joe Sullivan was the first one. They all have their uh, mental training that they do mm-hmm. um, for when it gets to maximal load. Mm-hmm. Definitely. I know uh, Huberman, Huberman Lab talks a lot about that like as far as doing that stuff. Um, yeah, and I mean, there's a the sports site for Seahawks, Michael Gervais. Um, he says the most powerful thing you can say to yourself is I can do hard things. So I can do hard how things. Do you, I like how that. Do you, how do you get to say that to yourself? How do you earn the right to say that to yourself? You got to do hard things. <laughs> you know, you, you have to do hard things to say, I can do hard things. And so when you're in that moment, you believe it, right? Um, confidence builds confidence, you know? So like, you got to do the hard things. So that way when you're there, you know, I can do hard things. I've done hard mm-hmm. things. I've been through this. I can do this again, you know? Um, I think a lot of times we talk about those max, max effort attempts. I mean, when, when I'm working with athletes, we're trying to build different tools. You want different tools, different situations, right? And so you can approach everything different depending on where your mindset's there. Um, a lot of times you just want your mind to stay out of your way, you know? Um, so like external focus is a big thing. Um, there's a lot of research in that. Like if you're a high level performer, um, not focusing internally and how your body feels or where this is at, or my mat's firing, this and that, and just all external focus, you know, you're a deadlift, you just, you know, I'm going to push the earth away, you know, and, and instead of worrying about like, oh, is my butt in the right place or my feeling here, you know, uh, uh, Bill Cashman, I talked about, you know, imagine his, his arms as a uh, pistons when he bench pressed and, you know, he's just firing pistons. He wasn't worried about like, you know, is, is this correct or I'm in this right position or, you know, my lats tight enough, you know, he's just firing off. Um, and so there's, there's different, you know, techniques to get us there. Um, even some, some imagery techniques. Like I was telling one of my clients, uh, when Eddie Hall pulled the like 1100 pounds, I think, yeah, yeah. um, he trained mentally, um, imagining he was picking up a car off of his kids. So that's what he trained his mind to do, right? And he said when he went to go pull it, he wasn't even there. He didn't realize he even he just was where he trained his mind to be there. He thought he was picking a car up, but all of a sudden everything was black and he stood at the top. And then he's like, "Oh shoot, I just picked up the eleven hundred pounds. Cool." Um, but that's what he did with his mind. He trained his mind that. So I had a when one of the, the female athletes I was working with, she had a couple of grudges of some of the guys at the gym. It was a friendly, you know, banter. They give her a hard time a lot of times. So <laughs> she trained her mind going to the meet, imagining pulling their heads off when she was dead. <laughs> oh my God. <laughs> That's graphic. <laughs> she did that for like four or five weeks going to the meet and hit a big deadlift PR. <laughs> Jesus. Oh, yeah. heads off. <laughs> oh, okay. Don't fuck with that chick. <laughs> no, no. <laughs> No, but like that's uh, I mean, number one, you don't fail in front of Schwarzenegger. That's that's for sure. Uh, yeah, but it seems like visualization is is huge, 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 huge. Yeah. So, I mean, how much. How much is it really our bodies and how much is it really our minds when we do this stuff? Right. Like it, it's fucking crazy what we can do. 
I know, uh, well, I mean, whenever you ask people, like, what, what would you guys' opinion be? What would be the percentage you would say? That's like the question of the day. Um, yeah. I do Comments. know that, like, uh, I don't know. I can't, I don't know, because I'm like, thinking of all the things that I've read in the past, like our bodies actually like shut our, our mind shuts our body down sooner. So we don't mm -hmm. injure ourselves. But mm -hmm. as we train more, that percentage gets less and we're able to push further. So I think it's relative to the, each person's experience, but I don't know, maybe 50, 50. I, hmm, that's a good question. I think that it would fluctuate depending on your experience and your adaptability i think i think it Ooh, that's hard i'm gonna go off of, of my other theory so i would say if the, if you're a newer lifter then it's based off your mentality when you're trying to focus on uh form and technique and utilization uh, of your compound movements but as you get stronger and like you get more of your body to fire together and be efficient then it's only near like max exertion, whether it's AMRAPs or whether it's, um, you know, PR loads, whatever that that's, but then, it, then it's a lower percentage, but it's also more crucial. I don't know. That's, that's interesting. Mike, do you have the answer? Yeah. Is there an answer? Don't tell me there's an correct answer. answer to it. There's no correct answer. Okay. It's okay. Good. Like, imagine he's at like a whiteboard doing a bunch of math. Right yeah. Now. <laughs> yeah. This is the flashback from the hangover. It's Gal, uh, Zach Gal and I just <laughs> card counting. This is what I do all the time. My brain is on fire most of the time. It's um, great. It's a question a lot of people when they, when they first work over for the team or something, they'll ask people like, oh, how much do you think is mental? How much do you think yeah. is physical in your performance? And people always overestimate the metal. They always, the people like, oh, it's 90% metal. This and then it's definitely not 90% metal, you know? Um, but then you always follow it up with asking athletes, okay, how much do you train the mental side? And, you know, none of them are, are doing anything. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's kind of your end. Like, all right. So, and then, you know, it takes a lot less time than people think, you know, but the only, the only research I saw one, one sports site, Nicole Dietland, um, I think her and her and her mentor, I can't remember his name. And they, they said their research said 5% mental. 5%? So, I mean, oh, wow. Yeah, that was the, I mean, and they're both, you know, they're sports psychologists, but I mean, that was there. That's the only person I saw that had said that they did some research on it. But I mean, some of that could be like, like that. you said, Mads, like it's a, uh, you know, that, that 5% mental, just like we talked just your mind staying out of your way, you know? Yeah. Mm. So, you know, it becomes a lot bigger when you let your mind get in the way. Um, mm -hmm. So a lot of the training is just trying to get it in. Not to not to mess you up, you know what I mean? Just, you know, yeah. when you're out there and and visualization is absolutely key. I mean, hell, when I was eleven or twelve, the night before a, a horse show, because I used to compete, uh, I would run through the course in my mind, not knowing that that I was visualizing. I had never speaking to, spoken to a sports psychologist. I just did it because it made me feel better and more confident. So the next day, I could go do the course. Mm -hmm. um, and even uh, with the lifts as well, like putting myself in that position for nationals because it was a new gym or it wasn't a gym. It was a hotel. So that was odd. Putting myself in a situation where it's like the, these faces don't know me. I don't know these faces and they might not be cheering for me either. It doesn't mean they're rooting against me. They're just not like all oh, like go bads. So <laughs> I definitely visualize that 
uh, what I didn't visualize is getting a flat tire and being late to weigh-ins for nationals. (laughs) Oh gosh, everything worked. Oh my God. I, that made me so more mentally tough just going through that. And I learned a lot of what to do and what not to do. So next time we'll be better. Well, so maybe, all right, Mike. So do you think, because the way I kind of think about it is, is our actions, the actions that we, that we need to take are simple, but the decision to do them is the difficult part. Like to, to take our way, our mind away from the habit of approaching something and seeing how uncomfortable it is and turning away from it just because that's habitually how our minds are. Like we can't get ourselves to do the thing, even though we can see the potential of it, we can see, you know, the, the success or the growth behind on the other side of those actions. Right. But then as you approach it, you have that very familiar discomfort, whether it be fear or anxiety or, you know, whatever it is. And you can't get ourselves to make that jump. Is there, is there part of, is there a part of mental performance that helps with that? Definitely. I, I think I might be asking the, for myself. <laughs> one of the, one of the first things I like to do with everybody, if I, if I have time in the first session is, you know, we establish their why, right? Um, yeah. You're a lot less likely to quit on things when you have purpose, you know? And like really digging deep into that, you know, like, why are you, what does this mean? What do I value about this? Right. And in any part of your life, you know, when you have that established and things are hard, then you're a lot more likely to get through it. You're a lot more likely to mm-hmm. keep going. You're a lot more likely to, to, to finish that task when you know why you're doing it. Um, you know, when I was, when I first went back to, to school and you know, you got to take all these classes. And like, I went back for a specific purpose, right? Um, I knew what I wanted to, to do. And you know, I'm in all these other classes that I'm like, I'm probably not going to use this. But I need to get an A in this class. I need to get into grad school because this is what I want to do. You know, when you establish that ahead of time, then it's a lot easier to work through those things. You know why you're doing this, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and so, you know, just doing that, if it's if, if you're in lifting or if you're competing in anything, you know, having that. And so when that, you know, when that moment comes, of course, you, you want to have other tools to kind of get your mind off it. It'll be different each time if we're talking about a max attempt still. But in general, you know, doing that, doing that inner work of, of why am I doing these things, you know? And what do I value about this? And what about this do I value myself? And then when things are hard and you don't want to do it, it's very easy to still do it when you know why, right? When you don't have that place, you don't have that anchor, you know, then, then it's a lot easier to be like, well, I'll do this some other time, or I just don't have to do this, mm-hmm. you know? Um, you know, we use different things to try to get there with the person. Um, there was one cool one I stole from uh, uh, one of the performance coaches for the Dodgers, and he uses uh, like one of those old nautical compasses, right? And so, you know, it has the big north, south, east, west, and it has the small ones in between. You know, I'll have some draw that, and then I'll have them put down what they value about whatever it is that, you know, the top four things. What are the big things? And then in between, put in, you know, and what steps do you do to, to fulfill that? And then by the time they're done and they look at it, you know, they can, it, it's a lot clearer. Why am I doing this? And mm-hmm. when motivation is lacking, 
whatever, you know, I was like, lean into that, take a picture of it, save it. That's yours. You know, when, when you're not feeling up to it, you look at that, and you'll know why you are doing this. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, so there's different ways to get there, but that's, that's a, a very strong thing to do just to, in life is figure out why I'm doing everything. I'm doing, you know, and when it's hard, I'm a lot more likely to get through it and keep going. If I, if I have that wide anchor, mm-hmm. um, let me see what else we talked about. We were still talking about like max effort attempts and stuff. And, you know, I could talk about that all day. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, you, it's going to be, like I said, it's going to be different tools for different situations, whatever mm-hmm. your mind's in, in the situation. Um, you know, hopefully you, you have some tools at your disposal to kind of get you through it. Um, big thing, you know, like you said, is uh, like how our Mads was talking about earlier, that awareness of what was going on with their um, earlier this week in training. You know, having that awareness of what is going on instead of just like, I don't want to do this, you know, like, mm-hmm. and, and being aware of that, figuring out, you know, using the tools she has to get her in the mindset to do it, right? Mm-hmm. And so if we're talking about that, it, it's going to be different if it's you're scared and confidence and figuring out how to get confident, you know? So, I mean, I, my last competition was last summer, right? And uh, my second attempt, I, I tore my quad, right? Um, it was in the muscle belly, um, but it swelled up real fast. You know, I had a big divot in there and everything. Um, you know, I was just, I was grateful I didn't detach from the tendon. So, all right. But then it was like, what am I going to do the rest of the day? Am I going to keep competing? What am I trying to you know? And when I did that meet, I did that meet on, you know, like I did it like five weeks notice, something like that. And literally at the time I signed up for that meet just because I was working with a lot of power lifters and I'm big on um, the practice, what you preach thing. And, mm-hmm. and uh, I was like, I'm going to do this competition and show that I can use these things too, you know? And I, in my mind, my vision, it was going to be this perfect performance. I was going to show how, you know, doing all this. And then that second attempt said, nope. <laughs> um, the powerlifting gods were like, you're going to have to show it another way. <laughs> you know, <laughs> skills is not for this. <laughs> um, but, you know, I stayed in it, you know, I, I benched with no leg drive, whatever. And then I got in a deadlift and I, I considered, uh, I was like, maybe I'll just take a token lift. I had like, you know, in that federation, I got like an age group squat record. And I was like, uh, maybe I'll just take a token. I'm thinking about it. No, that's not me. That's not me. So I'm going to, I'm going to give hundred percent of what I have right now, you know? Mm-hmm. And so, um, you know, I dropped my opener by a little bit, you know, I barely warmed up. Um, and when I was waiting for my turn, I was, so scared. <laughs> I was so scared. I was like, I'm going to bomb out. You know, I was already embarrassed by getting injured on the platform. With it. I was like, I'm going to, I'm going to go out there and flop like a fish on this thing. And, and everyone's going to feel bad for me. And I don't want that. Um, and I, I, no matter what I was doing, I could not control the, the thoughts. I couldn't control myself. Thought, you know, mm-hmm. um, I was trying so hard, you know, those gremlins, they just keep coming back. And so I had to come up with a different tool. Like, what can I do? I got to do something to get my mind straight right now. And so you can use body language to increase your confidence, right? Body language. Um, okay. You know, the research shows, you know, standing tall, standing strong, standing like a Superman will literally tell your mind, I am confident, you know, just like slouching and, and stuff will tell your mind, I'm not confident. I'm not confident. Yeah. And so I gave myself, I was like, this is my task. I was like, I'm going to stand here and look as confident as possible. I was like, I'm going to look. I, I just kept telling myself, I just look good in your single. 
I wanted to stand there and look strong and buff in my singlet. I was like, and I just focused so hard on that that I didn't hear any of the thoughts, right? And so, I, you know, like you have to come up sometimes with other tools, you know, and then literally I did that until it was, until it was my turn. And then I just told myself, pick this motherfucker up <laughs> and, you know, and it went and yeah. So when you talk about those max effort attempts, it's going to be different sometimes. You got to come up with something different. Um, that's why you, you, you build up this tool set of, of, of things that you can use in the moment. Yeah. Uh, and so, you know, uh, yeah. I, I think, <clears throat> I think something that happens a lot and maybe it's, maybe it's deflection. Maybe that's what it is. It maybe maybe it's um, us not realizing what mental strength will actually do for us. But it, it's people hear these simple things, these cliche things, these things that might seem super surface level about uh, mentality, like visualization, mantra, mantras, affirmations, all that kind of stuff. And people just kind of like that's silly. Like how how is that going to work? And it, I think I'm starting to realize like above everything else that those are the most powerful things when it comes to self-awareness and uh emotional control and um i guess assessment and i don't know and an encompassing of of good positive things like confidence and uh, whatever else i think i'm kind of losing track of what i'm saying but i think that is is more powerful than anything and creates potential and opportunity for everything that we want to do in life almost like it's mentality is the basis of the foundation almost maybe um i like to do on, too too far out there <laughs> um you know affirmations and mantras and stuff i know some some of the verbiage that, that we use like people you know like when you say that people will think like you know sitting in a quiet room on yoga mats and stuff yeah you know, I use the term with my clients, I just say deliberate self-talk, right? Because we spend too much time listening to ourselves and not enough time speaking to ourselves. Ah, right? You know, yeah. so you, you got to be deliberate with it. So coming up with mantras, affirmations, that's just deliberate self-talk. So you, it's just putting a plan in place. You know, this is what I say to myself at this time. This is what I say to myself when I'm feeling this way. And having those things, you know, like you said, it's just tools. Like I said, it's just tools in your toolbox. Having these things, so when it happens, I know I say this to myself and it helps me feel better. I talk to myself this way. It helps me feel better. You know, helps me get focused. You know, mm -hmm. it helps me get back in love. Right. Um, otherwise, like, you know, your thoughts just happen to you. If you don't figure out a way whether it's thought stopping or, 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 or whatever it, it to try to, to, to refocus that, um, they're just going to keep going. Right. You know, that, that's, that's cognitive behavioral therapy. Thoughts affect your feelings, affect your behavior, which affect how you feel, then affects how you think, right? Which then <laughs> you know, affects, like, how thought. you act. Yeah, and so it just keeps going. So we all know, we've all had times where when we started with those thoughts and they just snowball. If you don't figure out a way to bring them in, they're just going to snowball. And you're just going to feel worse. You're not going to get out. And you're going to feel worse. Then you're not going to do the things you want to do. And then you're going to feel worse about that, mm -hmm. you know? Mm -hmm. And so, you know, maybe people look at like some of those ways you say about it, like mantra and affirmations, I think it's a soft term, but 
you know, that's why I just, I say deliberate self-talk. You're saying something to yourself on purpose, mm-hmm. you know, simple as that. I mean, it's important to have those. And, um, you know, our thoughts are so, our minds are so sacred. It's when you have a clear mind, everything's better. Right. Um, mm-hmm. and so whatever it is, whatever tools you have in place to deal with those, you know, have some tools, you know, mm-hmm. um, is whether it's just acceptance. That's a big thing with, um, like mindfulness is, is accepting the thoughts and, and just seeing them float away because they're just thoughts. They're not, they're just things They can't actually affect you. You know, if you don't want to let them, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Um, but if you don't put any systems in place yet, it's going to, it's going to affect you. It's going to take you down that rabbit hole. Um, no matter where you are, what it is competition or just trying to be happy. <laughs> that so, is a daily ahead, struggle. Thanks. I have to deal with, uh, with my past eating disorder is the thoughts because mm-hmm. it never goes away. It is always mm-hmm. a voice in your head. So everything you just said, it's like, I have a choice whether this affects me or what do I say to myself when I'm feeling like this? Cause it can have that sm- snowball effect, mm-hmm. but I certainly don't want to go back to where I was when I was in college. Um, but yeah, those little voices creep up here and there. And obviously I, I'm better and I am stronger now to where I can smack those thoughts out of my mind very, very quickly. Um, but if I did not have that tool set, if I didn't have those tools, then I wouldn't be where I am today. Yeah, definitely. Um, and just so everybody can hear this, cause I think this is, is majorly important. I think people get too worried about perfect Mads. How many times does that not work? The me shutting down the voices. Yeah. Um, how many times it, do you fail? It, oh, it, I failed in the past, but I mean, I would consider, I wouldn't call it failure. I would call it like a, a relapse or like an episode. And that's if okay. I like binge and purge, mm-hmm. but that has not happened since, what was the date? June 24th of 2017, 16, 18. It's been a while. So, um, but well, before, <laughs> once I started, I wanted to get better. Like, I'm just saying, like, I wasn't, when I said, I was like, oh, I don't have an eating disorder anymore. I'm cured. Mm-hmm. No, I still had times where I relapsed. Yeah. Um, but the exact date that I can't remember, I should know this. <laughs> um, that is, that is when I've like shut down the voices. So I have not failed yet, or I haven't relapsed yet. And I don't plan to in my life. Oh no. I, and sorry, I didn't, I didn't mean to pull out like specifics for you. I think it was just, I think all of us tackle something fairly unique or we have, we have to repeatedly every day tackle something unique. And I think people, and I'm saying this for myself, for sure. I get Mm -hmm. so beat up or I beat myself up so much on the days that, that I don't win on the days that, um, I, I give in to the gremlin, you know, um, when I give Mm into the resistance, when it's, when it feels like it's too much for me and it took, it's taken me years and I've gotten better as maybe that's, maybe that's a big thing too, is it's just a practice regardless of how abstract it feels or, 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 you know, how structured it is as long as that practice stays in play. But there's still days where I just fucking fail. Like I don't want to record or I don't want to write or I don't want to do anything past the exhaustion point where my mind and body can't handle it anymore. And I think people really need to know that as, even when it comes to being really good and being successful and, you know, being satisfied with where you are, you're still going to fuck up. 
Something for sure. I think the hardest part is just showing up like as a writer, as a yeah. lifter, as an athlete, like nine times out of 10, if you just show up to something, you're going to do something. Or mm -hmm. like if you're a writer, sit in front of your computer for an hour every day and just have that consistent routine. Um, if you're a lifter, just go to the gym and warm up, do your first set, see how you feel. If you don't feel good, then maybe you need another rest day. Mm -hmm. um, if you're I don't know. I'm trying to think about this. Any, any team sport, obviously you got to show up to practice. Um, and usually if you just practice with your teammates, like you're going to have some benefit, but yeah, I, for that, I would say just show up and, mm -hmm. and have a consistent schedule to where you are, um, putting something towards your goals. It doesn't have to be, you know, perfect meal prep and you look amazing and your hair is done and your performance is great. Like it could just be, I hit my protein goal today, or mm -hmm. I went to the gym and did mobility work, or I wrote one sentence today, whatever that is. Um, I think that more answered your question. Yeah. Oh yeah, totally. Hey, Mike, what do you, what do you think? I think some of like, you were talking about your personal experience with, I think, uh, self-compassion is a, is a, yeah. It's a big topic right now. And there's a lot of resilience to it just because the the name. Like we kind of talked about earlier with the mantra and affirmation. People hear self-compassion and just think it sounds soft, right? Mm -hmm. And when people understand, don't understand is self-compassion, the techniques and the theory is not about you know sitting in the bathtub and eating ice cream. I mean that's <laughs> self-indulgence. Right? Yeah, that, there's a difference for sure. Self-compassion. Self-compassion and accountability go hand. You know, self-compassion and self-discipline go hand in hand, right? All it is, is that when you do something bad or out of character, you just realize that you're not bad, right? Like, I did something bad, I'm not bad. It's okay, I'm human, right? Now, what do I got to do to get better? You know, and the, the, those are kind of the, the easy steps of the, that self-compassion process, you know? I mean, the research shows people who are self-compassionate are much more resilient through hardships and failing than people who aren't. People who are hard on themselves self-judge, you know? Those are the people who don't get out of it. You know, self-compassion is, is, is understanding you're human and you're gonna not be perfect. Mm -hmm. And, but at the same time, once you do that, when, you, when you're mad at yourself, you know, how clear can you be with your, your thoughts about how to get better? If you're just kicking yourself and you're down, like you, you can't, you can't have that clear mind to be like, well, how do I get better at this thing? You know, there's no plan. There's no, you're just down You're mm -hmm. just kicking yourself while you're down and, you know, speaking to yourself in a way you would never speak to somebody else. You love, right. When you, when we get in those situations, we talk to ourselves and we're like, I wouldn't talk to my friend or my sister like this, you know, why we talk to ourselves like that? right um you know so self-compassion is is just that it's realizing like all right well i didn't do what i wanted to do i wasn't the person i wanted to be today it's okay um it's it happened i gotta accept it happened right um i am human i'm not gonna be perfect i can accept this happened okay now i can think clearly what do i got to do to get better now i gotta hold myself accountable you know that's the that's the last step in self-compassion is accountability what do I got to do to be better? Mm -hmm. right? You can't do that when your, your mind's clouded with this self-judgment. Mm -hmm. Well, I think, and 
I come across random things. So I promise you, I would not be able to cite this here on this podcast. But <laughs> I remember reading about a study that they did with so many random people. Um, God, this is going to sound horrible. But more or less, they they were rating the success uh, the the success of these people and they were finding that the people that were that were compassionate to themselves and the people that loved themselves were the most successful people which is almost contradictive of the way that most people are taking their life on now because they're so hard on themselves and you hear and maybe this is just a different uh way to approach it and I don't at what at what percentage of people do this I don't know but you know those guys that even like motivational speakers that are they're most of the time male that are they're saying like dude you're a piece of shit shut the fuck up and do the work you know and i know i know for sure that doesn't work for me but the reason that study sticks out in my mind is because that was the type of thing that i needed i needed to learn to be compassionate with myself and to love myself and that moved me forward better than being a hard ass on myself and like you were saying like being the shit out of myself while i'm already on the ground Mm -hmm. yeah i mean there's there's always exceptions there's always some people who respond yeah. yeah to some of those things you know motivational speakers it's a it's a tool it's a great tool to listen to sometimes mm -hmm. get hyped up whatever but you know the techniques aren't always grounded anything but their own yeah. life experience you yeah. know one person's life experience doesn't you can let that life experience inspire you you know you can be inspired by the person's life experience but don't expect yourself to be the same as that Mm -hmm. You don't think just because this is work for this guy, you know, obviously, you know, David Goggins is a different human being, right? Insane. And so, like, I can't be like, oh, I'm going to read his book and then I'm going to be like, hey, bro, he's, yeah, he's a different yeah, human yeah. being. Like, it's kind of like, I mean, the sports psychology at its roots is the study of people and their behaviors and sport performance, right? And so when it first started with Coleman Griffin back in the day, he started studying the, the, the athletes and the football team stuff at school. He was a psychologist and there was no sports psychology. So he started studying the athletes on campus. And, um, you know, we study what works, they see what works. And then you take it back to the, the lab and you research it with other people and see like, oh, can we replicate this? And will this work for in general, right? And so something like that, like it's not gonna, that works for that one person is not gonna work for everybody. Mm -hmm. And so like, when you look at, I forgot where I was going with this. I was kind of going off when she was talking about the using the image, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Some people will naturally do some of these things. You know, Hank Aaron famously used imagery and visualization like crazy, right? There was no sports psych working with him. He just did it. He imagined every pitch, every possible scenario, every at bat, every someone's on second, pitch count one, two. I know this guy, I know what he throws. And you go through all that. And there was no sports psych working with him, right? But we study these people and we figure out, we go back there and figure out, okay, this works. And so through that, you get techniques that should work for most people. Mm -hmm. Not going to work for everybody, but should work mm -hmm. for most people. And things like that, like just, you know, thinking you're going to be David Goggins, it's not going to work for many people, you know. Um, so, I mean, use it as a tool, let it inspire you. You know, let it let it inspire you, let you hype you up, like put it on YouTube to go read to to work out. Let his words inspire you. Don't expect to be him. Mm -hmm. You know. Mm -hmm. No, it's um, 
I, I think there's some outliers and I think that it's because of media, social media and the internet, it's, it's very easy to attach to extremes mm-hmm. um, and assume that that's who you are, that that's what you have to embrace. And I, I agree with you. I think it should be motivational, but you need to find your own way of doing it. Like you can get to that level logistically uh, in reality, you can get to their level, but you have to be willing to, to get there on your own path instead mm-hmm. of trying to replicate somebody to a T and realizing that you're not going to handle things the way that they will, but you could handle things better in your own version than they could maybe. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and I think that's one of the, I think that's a good advertisement for why it's good to work with the mental performance coach. If, if mm-hmm. you're having these things for your support or your performance is that, like I said earlier, my job is to, to navigate the conversation, mm-hmm. right? Um, ask the right questions, you know, um, be present with them, you know, uh, be empathic, listen, and then navigate that towards finding the answers that's already in them, right? Mm-hmm. Um, that's literally what I do. It's just, I try to navigate the conversation, find out the answers that are already in them, and then we put tools in place to do that stuff on purpose, you know? And so, yeah. Yes, everybody go talk to Mike right now. Go book a session with him. <laughs> do it. Just do it. Do it. Oh my He's God. amazing. <laughs> um, so, so just a, a general question here, Mike, um, as, as we start closing up. So to me, sports psychology is is becoming more and more accepted, I guess. Or, or I mean, it's also seen as like something super beneficial, right? Um, I, you know, I read, uh, I no, I did not. I am about to read, uh, Tim, Tim Grover's book, you know, what Tim Grover is, right? Mm-hmm. I think he's per- technically just a personal trainer. Oh, re- was it? What's the book called? I, re- I read it. Oh, I, I forgot. Is it resilience? Something like that. I'm probably way wrong. Um, um we're going to figure this out and I'll put coach. it in. What was that? He was a strength and conditioning coach. He okay, implemented, yeah, yeah. yeah, he implemented a lot of like mental training into the Yeah, I was gonna say, like, yeah, he's did he got only write some... one book or did he write two? I think he's got two. I think he's got okay. Two. I've read one of them and it's it's pretty awesome. So enjoy it. Yeah. Okay. Well, fantastic. But where I'm going with this is it also, even though there's a lot of resistance still, like even like therapy and counseling is being more accepted. So where do you see things like sports psychology taking us? as we accept it more, like as we actually, you know, we start to incorporate it and people realize how good of a thing this is, because I think that the field that you're in is huge potential. It is. Um, Yeah. I mean, the industry is trying to, to steer more towards the performance psychology term. Mm -hmm. Um, That's the first big thing, just because, you know, everything's a performance. These skills could be used for, you know, a lot of things. Okay. Uh, I know like my mentor, he worked with a comedian. He worked with the pilot. Um, I know, well, I mean, Michael Gervais I mentioned earlier, he sold his program to Microsoft. So every Microsoft employee goes through his mental training program oh, that he made. Shit. Yeah, that he made for them to do online. Every single one. So he made a lot of money off that. <laughs> um, but so they're trying to go more towards the, the performance psychology term to kind of gotcha. broaden it out a little bit. Actually, one of my mentors actually just 
he uh, he'd been at academia for 20, 25 years, something like that. He just took a job as a performance coordinator for a big esports company. Really? Yeah. So like they have like the number one League of Legends team, all this stuff. I don't, I don't really know esports. League of Legends, fantastic. Yeah. So he he's like the because he worked with them just as a sports like for and mm-hmm. for a season, and then they hired him just he's director of performance. So now he's in charge of their sleep and their diets and everything. He's in charge of everything. Um. So he has a whole team he's hiring to to help him with that. But um, so that's the direction of the future is, you know, people using using you know sports psychology and, and other things right uh, other performances mm-hmm. um you know whether i mean you know magic is an actor like you know same thing it's a performance um you can use a lot of techniques um i mean i remember one of the guest speakers in my class he was a, a dancer um and so i mean you can use a lot of that stuff i think that's the future of it is is broadening out uh, i think it brings a lot of uh, attention to, to mental health as far as for athletes. Um, you know, I think uh, one of my mentors, he, he put it best because people, people hear mental health and they just think about uh, as far as like depression and stuff like that. And mental health mm-hmm. isn't just the absence of mental illness, right? Mental health is, is you know, positive thinking and pursuing goals and enjoying your life um, that's the part where, you know, when I tell people I work in mental health, that's where I help, you know, um, like we said, the difference between what we do, the difference between what I do and a therapist, a lot of times people go to therapy because they're already, you know, they're not in the middle. They're like in the, the decline part. Right. Yeah. Dealing with trauma. Yeah. So like, I'm more, if you're in the middle and I want to get you up here. Mm-hmm. Right. And so, you know, like you want to, you want to pursue a better life you know we, we do we can do the work for that you want to pursue a, a better time for sport you know that's i think probably the best part about it you just enjoy things more your mind's clear you enjoy things more which across... i hope in the future go ahead Matt. oh sorry <laughs> i hope in the future um that sports psychologist mental performance uh becomes more normalized as like oh if you need help with training you hire a coach if you need help with nutrition you hire a nutritionist or a dietitian and then mental also. And it's more of like in this realm house of like who you have to, uh, who you have to help you with whatever your goals are. So I'm hoping it's just like, oh yeah, I have my trainer. I have my nutritionist and my, uh, mental performance coach. So that's what I hope is, uh, for you guys in the future. Definitely. definitely. Yeah. I mean, the potential for this is, is amazing. Like the way you're talking about how it, it spreads across everything that makes a lot of fucking sense because that's going to, that all influences the way businesses work, like how, uh, how effective they are, how successful they are. That's going to affect obviously our sports. That's going to affect our relationships. That's going to affect like the back end of this is almost endless. Like it's, it, it just keeps going. It's like the, the mental part of this is huge. Like, uh, performance psychology is, Oh my God. Like, like, is, is there an end? I don't think so. <laughs> yeah, mind blow. <laughs> Definitely. And there's there's some guys out there doing that work, guys working with like high level executives and stuff. Um, I know who's doing a lot of that. Uh I had the book over here. The Brad Stolberg and Steve Beck, they do a lot of that work with executive coaching and stuff. Okay. Uh, yeah. Yeah. There's people out there doing that work. 
Um, so hopefully it just grows from there. And, you know, in, like Matt said, like in, in, in this one world, it'd be, a, you know, hopefully it can grow as well. And, and mm-hmm. people seek out that, that coaching, you know. Um, mm-hmm. So through all of what we've been through today, uh, what is the biggest thing that you want people to know, whether it be about your profession and whether it be about the effectiveness of what you, what you do and like, what do you want people to hear the most from this? Um, I mean, I think I'll refer like a couple of the prompts that you that that you sent me. I think the first thing is, is just, you know, speak nicely to yourself. Mm. <laughs> um, yeah, dude. That, that's an important thing. We talked a lot about it here and, uh, you know, it's, it's so important, um, just to be happier, not even just sport. Um, you mentioned one thing here, like what, what could we do right now? And I think one of the most important tools is, uh, breathe, right. Um, or remember that you're breathing, right. I'm gonna find the quote. There's a quote from a guy named George Mumford who he actually, I mean, he, he worked with Tim Grover cause he was the, he was actually the performance coach for the Bulls and Grover was the strength and conditioning coach. So he was with the Bulls during their championship runs and he was with the Lakers during their championship runs. He was, he was Phil Jackson's guy. Right. And his stuff's all based on mindfulness, but he has a great quote about the breath. He says, you can be anywhere with any kind of stress or chaos and your breath will always be there. Like the tides moving in and out, connecting your mind, to your body, and vice versa. Right. And so learning how to breathe, learning how to find your breath is just probably the most important like tool there is because when you're freaking out and everything feels out of control um, and you learn how to use your breath, you take one breath and you take another breath, um, two things happen. First of all, physiologically, you bring your heart rate down. You activate that parasympathetic nervous system. You start to bring yourself down physically. So you don't feel those, those things, right? Two, when you feel like everything's out of control, you found one thing you could control. I can control my breath. Okay. That means that I can control myself. Okay, what task can I control next? Right. So that that if there is one tool someone can take away from this podcast, you know, learn to find your breath. You know, because we all have those times, and whether it's your sport, your life, where it feels like everything's out of control, and you find your breath, you can bring yourself back to to center, back to present, and then you can figure out what you got to do. So that, that if I can leave with one tool, that would be. Dude, that's, I mean, it's perfect. It's, I think it's, it may sound simple, but when people really think about it, how often are you thinking about your breath, right? So mm-hmm. if you can attach to that, what can you open yourself up to, right? Yeah, fuck yeah. <laughs> fuck yeah, that's a good, that's a good way to end it. Um, <laughs> Mike, where does everybody find you? How do they find you to hire your ass and help them with whatever performance issues they're having? Because I know a lot of us are, this is tough for a lot of us. Um, yeah. So I think the easy way is probably on, you know, where everybody finds people nowadays on the gram. Um, the gram. Yeah. Uh, my name's simple. It's just Michael Russell Jr. on there. Uh, you can also, well, everyone can see our names on here. So my email is basically that, Mike Russell Jr. at Yahoo. Um, I also work for uh, a company, uh, online sports psychology um platform called mind ready 
Um, so, you know, you can also book me through them or, you know, if you're interested and maybe like, you don't think I'm a fit, there's, you know, we have 40 coaches. Um, I think, I think 50 coaches now. Yeah. And, uh, maybe, maybe, you know, you're interested in this, but maybe I'm not the guy you want to work with. You know, you can, you can, we have great coaches on there. Um, and so yeah, that's the, the third place to find me. Perfect, man. Mads, where's everybody find you? <laughs> muscle Mads on Instagram, musclemads.com, musclemads at Gmail, Twitch, TikTok, YouTube, Muscle Mads everywhere. Twitter. <laughs> I, I just took that name across the board, but I need to um, get on your social media. Yeah. <laughs> you, yeah, seriously, take over all of Mike Russell Jr. That is that is your new title. Honestly, honestly, I mean, in secret, I know this is gonna be open to a lot of people, but that like once you have so many social medias that tack up the same exact um, reference, um, it helps with SEO and it helps, you know, people recognize because there's more that's popping up. This is my basic yeah. understanding of optimization. Well, no, no, hundred percent. Like if you just yeah. Google, like, and like Meg, everyone knows Meg squats, like, mm-hmm. and then it leads to all the other things. It's like, okay, well, I'm going to take over muscle mads with a Z at the end, not an S because there is another person who's it's muscles by mads with an S. And I was like, Ooh. Oh no. <laughs> so I was like, no, no, no. Muscle mads, all one word Z at the end done. That's mine. So Mike, you gotta, you gotta create uh, take over the internet with your name. Yeah, dude, you got to play it up. People got to, people got to see those biceps, bro. Keep those videos. Going. <laughs> <laughs> no, people tell me um, switching over the content. I got to stop doing that. It's like, well, I, was like, I, when I first switched over my account, everyone's like, oh, you should have a separate business one. I was like, yeah, but mm-hmm. all the people I know is on here. And then they're like, well, you got to stop doing that. So I was like, well, in my industry, like it's a, it's a person industry. It's a people industry, right? Mm-hmm. Oh, I got to be myself. You're going to sit there and talk to me for an hour. You got to know something about me maybe and think like, all right, well, I talked to him, you know? And so, yeah, like I was, all right, well, I felt like I was relatable. So <laughs> yeah. Be you always be you. Yeah. Be- fuck yeah, man. Um, I think when it comes to, uh, work with humans, like the closer you work with humans, I think the less you have to have a separate identity. I think it's more about you being the brand. Because I had two separate accounts and it was almost exhausting, not because of the the amount of work that it did to do it separately and posting that much separately wasn't that big a deal. But like I was almost trying to turn myself off and on to two separate profiles. So I think it just depends on how you want to make your system work. But I try to use myself as the representation of my brand and do everything through one. That makes more sense to me. And it's a little bit easier on my mind. <laughs> So yeah, guys, if, uh, let's, let's button this up. It was fantastic to have you both. I'm so glad this is the first, uh, three, this is the first three-way conversation I've had. Uh, (laughs) sorry about that. I didn't. (laughs) Sorry. Uh, I love it. So, um, but it was, it was fantastic to have you both. Mads, it was great to hear from you again. Mike, so great to meet you. Thank you both for being on here. Thank you. This was awesome. Uh, thanks everybody out there for joining the podcast. Stay strong and stay rebel-minded. I'm your host, Zach. Out. Hey, guys. I hope that all things we've brought here, including the people, have helped you change the way that you see the world. And if it has, then it would help us so much if you leave a rating and a comment on iTunes or give any feedback wherever you listen to the RMP. Thank you for listening in, and don't forget to follow and subscribe. Question everything, my friends.
Dude, where's your mind go? Like, how are you referencing all this shit in your head? Like, I, I, I don't probably probably should have it's not said biceps. anything about That's that. That's where article. he stores it's all the fucking knowledge. biceps. Is that where you store <laughs> your information? Biceps. Oh. Now I know why you released those those bastards out in the open. <laughs> uh, a lot of it, you just, I mean, through school, you learn the, the yeah. stuff. I don't know, you read the references and the stuff. I didn't want to get too nerdy with it, but. Oh, you dude, know. you be fucking you. Like because, yeah. <laughs> but, you know, it's, it's good to keep updated on that. You know, you go to the conferences and it's, you hear some of the people who've been in it, and especially if they stay in academia. It's like all you're like trying to write down. Like, what was that research? I don't know. I've never heard any of this. <laughs> it's like you're listening yeah. to a textbook. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, I, I don't, I mean, and, and I respect the shit out of it. There's some people that I follow. There's one book that it's probably going to take me a couple years to get through legitimately just because my comprehension of the material, he talks about multiple intelligences. So it, it's really fascinating to me, but the way that he speaks throughout the book is like my mind burns up after a chapter. Like, I fucking can't follow him. And yeah. so, so I, I come across people that are more, uh, you know, I have a little bit more of like a logistics mind or engineering kind of mind and like factual and scientific based. And I'm like, ah, uh-huh. <laughs> that's what I'm Keep saying that to. stuff. <laughs> <laughs> Anytime he talks about his schoolwork or work, I'm just like, I love you. <laughs> yep, Mads, you have to smile. You have a, a great job. smile. <laughs> Just keep smiling. It's not going to matter to him. For real. Smile and wave, boys. Smile and wave. <laughs>